Empty Frames is an independent production. The commentary expressed here is our own and does not reflect the opinions of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum or its staff. To learn more about the museum, including the 1990 theft, please visit the museum's website at www.isgm.org. If you have any critical information relating specifically to the 1990 theft, please contact the museum's security director via the options provided on the museum's website. The museum continues to offer a reward totaling $10 million for information that can lead to the return of the stolen artwork. We are bothered by the loss the art world suffered in 1990, and we are not content with the status quo. One stolen painting to note is from Manet, a French artist who created Che Tortoni, circa 1880. It's an elegant depiction of a man sketching a half-consumed beer on the table as he calmly looks at his audience. We started this podcast to raise awareness of the theft and to show our support for the ongoing recovery efforts. While those recovery efforts progress as they do daily, we encourage our listeners to visit the museum, to appreciate its incredible collection, both past and present, and to donate directly to the museum through its website. Again, if you enjoy this podcast and you feel as we do about the missing artwork, the most productive way for you to express your view is to donate directly to the Gardner Museum via its website. Go to isgm.org and look for the Join and Give tab, where there are options to make a donation of any size to support the museum's mission. Please donate today. And when you do, let us know on Twitter so we can personally thank you there. Thanks again. On March 18, 1990, the most audacious art heist of all time took place at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. Two men dressed as police officers were admitted into the building by security, claiming to be responding to a disturbance call. In 81 minutes, 13 pieces of art were stolen. Among the portraits stripped from their frames were works by Vermeer, Degas, and Rembrandt. Estimated at half a billion dollars, the heist has been categorized as the largest and most frustrating of all time. Theories of their whereabouts and those who perpetrated the crime are abundant. In this podcast series, we will dig as deep as possible into the case, the theories, and the social and economic impact the greatest unsolved art heist of all time had on the community. This is Empty Frames, a heist story. Welcome back to Empty Frames. Here we are today in the Crawl Space Studios here in Wormtown. I'm Tim. How are you, Lance? I'm doing very well. How are you today? I'm doing great. We have a really wild interview to bring our audience today. Very excited about this one. It's something that's been in the can for a couple of weeks now, and it's sort of a sought-after guest on this show that finally we had the opportunity to speak with. Yeah, his, his nickname is Turbo. And you'll know why pretty quickly. You'll know why within the first couple of words that come out of his mouth. And Turbo's got a blog, and he was also in the film, the documentary film about the Gardner heist called Stolen, which is an excellent movie. Turbo himself describes that as a beautiful picture, uh, directed by Rebecca Dreyfus, also featuring Harold Smith, renowned art detective. And Miles Connor. And Miles Connor, yeah. If anyone hasn't checked out Stolen, 
see if you can get yourself a copy of that DVD. So Turbo's got a lot of information coming at you here. We first start talking about his life and why he is kind of relevant to this landscape. And he actually used to be a thief. He actually used to be a knocker, which we'll let him describe that uh, to the audience during the episode. But that is a really fascinating occupation because he treats it and he describes it as an occupation. He says that he retired from that, that profession, which is interesting when you're not a career criminal to identify as uh, this is my occupation. And so now he kind of serves as a middleman between thieves and museums or whoever owns uh, the artwork. And so he's facilitated the successful return of some stolen properties. And all he wants here is to get the Gardner artwork back to the museum. Yeah, he's a self-described firewall between these two organizations. And he's got a plan. And he's going to deliver the plan in detail in this episode. And it's a very, very logical plan. One thing that I found very interesting and sort of groundbreaking, at least in my own head, was that he doesn't care who stole the art. Right. Yeah, he, he doesn't go into detail on that, doesn't really care because it doesn't matter, he says. It's all about just getting the art back. At this point, it doesn't matter. If it's someone who is a, a gangster, a mobster with a, a high reputation in the city of Boston at the time, you're talking about somebody who's 70, 80, or perhaps 90 year, years old now. So, yeah, at this point, it doesn't matter. But his plan does. Yes, and the strategy that the gardener and the investigators have acted on in order to try to get these paintings back has not worked so far in 28 years. I mean, that's just a fact, right? We, th there's no other way to put that. That's just a fact. No, no one's No one person's fault. It's... Just a factual statement. But when you start to discuss how to change that and how to get it back from a different point of view, then you start to kind of hear why Turbo's plan makes sense. It's a very logical plan, and he's going about it in a very logical way. If it's, if it's anything that you want to result from, whether it's getting art returned back or whatever, if you want a result and for 28 years you've been doing the same thing to get the, to get the result that you desire and it's not working, then you should take a step back and reapproach. And I think that's what he's doing. And in all due respect, he's, he's, he said that. And he, with all due respect to the FBI and to the museum itself, he, he sees it a different way. Okay, so check out Turbo's blog. The link is in the show notes. And follow the show on Twitter at empty underscore frames. We are on Instagram and Facebook as well. Thank you very much for listening. And we hope you all enjoy the Turbo Ride. I've been investigating the Gardner case right from the beginning. Um, and for the last 20 years, um, you know, I've been privately and quietly um, lobbying both the Garden Museum and authorities um, to implement the Turbo Plan. Now, the key to the Turbo Plan was the moment that authorities, the FBI and the Garden Museum, stated publicly that the most important thing, the number one priority, was to recover the garden art and not to prosecute people or prevent the reward from being paid. Now, they've consistently said that. The number one priority is just to recover the art. Well, taking them at their word, the number one thing the Garden Museum needs to do is to issue a Gardner um, Art Reward Price List, which gives a price for each individual stolen Gardner artwork so that everyone out there knows what they will get 
for each individual stolen gardener artwork. Why do you think that would be successful? Historically, like every art theft, when lots of things are taken, the first thing that's done is the parcel of stolen art is split up into um, the most valuable pieces and the less valuable pieces. So, um, you know, the idea that all the gardener art is still together, I think, is folly. Now, it's nice and neat um, for the narrative that's being promoted that the gardener um, heist happened and, and the, all of the art, all 13 pieces were stashed. It's never been moved, right? And, and unfortunately, perhaps everyone who knows where, it, where it's been stashed has died, okay? But the actual facts are completely different. You know, in the, what would have happened with the garden art, it would have left the garden museum, it would have been stashed. Now, the only saleable artwork from the garden museum in the high-value stolen art underworld was the Vermeer. The storm on the sea was too big and bulky, um, and if it had been cut into pieces, it would be less desirable. Right. So I believe the Vermeer went off on its travels on its own. The rest of the art would have been stashed, and over a period of time, it would have been exchanged for favours, um, for, for decks, um, and for things like that. So it may be distributed in several different places. Right. So if someone is sitting there with, say, a Degas drawing, they don't know how much they would get if they handed it back. So by issuing Gardner Stolen Art Reward Price List, it shows everyone exactly what is being offered for each individual artwork. Second, and this is important, the Gardner Museum removes the conditions on the reward. Now, the Gardner Museum say that they will pay a $10 million reward for all 13 pieces of their stolen art returned in good condition. Now, the reason they say all 13 pieces is so that they have got a legal get-out where they can refuse to pay the reward if one or two pieces are recovered by saying, no, we're not going to pay any reward out until all 13 pieces are recovered. Now, the Garden Museum may come back and say, oh, well, if one piece was recovered, we could work something out, we could talk about it. Well, the underworld doesn't, or the people that have the gardener art don't want to talk about it because they've seen what happens when... Um, anyone tries to talk about it before. They want to see a, an avenue and a pathway to hand back the gardener art, collect the reward in full, and not face any scrutiny from the FBI or authorities. If we have reached a point where recovering the gardener art is more important than prosecutions and preventing the reward being paid to bad people, yes, we have to admit that, then I suggest we all hold our noses, distasteful as it may be, and allow the garden art to surface. Right. Now, to interrupt you really quickly, um, before we get too far down this particular rabbit hole, it's super interesting, but we want to take it back a little bit and talk about uh, your history and how you got involved with the stolen art community. You are a self-professed former knocker. Uh, what is that, and is that how you began your career in the art world? I began my career in the art world um, at age 14 when I went out on the knocker, which is knocking on people's private houses, asking if they wanted to uh, sell antiques. I then moved up swiftly to organizing thefts from big country houses. 
And by the age of 21, I was one of the biggest handlers of stolen art in the UK, and I used to export to Europe and the United States. I got to the top of the profession, and I then retired. And I then went to university and got a BA honours degree and a master's degree, and I then became, and, uh, and still are, a firewall between the stolen art underworld and law enforcement insurers and victims. Well, that's amazing. And, and that, that's what I and that's what I do, um, and I currently do. That's a wild uh, career path. Um, can, can you explain a little bit? You said that, that there was a channel that you've used from the U.S. to, or from Ireland or, or the U.K. to the U.S. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Well, what you would do is you would have a container of legitimate antiques, furniture, and things, and then within that you would place the stolen art. Um, for example, a painting inside a piece of furniture or something along those lines, and then you just export it to the US. 99% of the stuff in the container is legitimate, but you've also included some stolen art. And that's something that you've personally done? Um, I mean, those, those are the things that were done um, when I was uh, involved in the stolen art world back in, back in the 1980s and 90s. I'm picturing like a big, uh, like a big barge in South Boston. There's uh, the, the area where all of those big shipping containers are. Is that, is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, it, it's, it's a way of hiding in plain sight. You're an antique dealer and you buy art and antiques legitimately and you export them to antique dealers in the United States. So in amongst those, you place some stolen art and antiques as well. Plus, you have to remember, in the 80s and 90s, there was no internet, there was no regulation, and so to be honest with you, the likelihood of any stolen art being discovered um, and traced back was very, very minimal. Unless, of course, it was an iconic work, like the Vermeer or a Picasso or something like that. You have to remember that um, 90% plus of stolen art is... Um, is normal things up to, up to the value of $10,000, $100,000. The iconic stuff taken from museums and collections is a very small percentage. It's what, it's what I used to call headache art, because it's so well known it causes everyone a headache. Now give me 100 items worth $1,000 each, a $10 million picture becomes a headache. But if you've got lots of smaller items that add up to that same figure, you can blend them into the legitimate art market. It was great seeing you in the uh, the fantastic documentary Stolen, um, directed by Rebecca Dreyfus. Stolen is a beautiful portrayal of Isabella Stewart Gardner by Rebecca Dreyfus with my dear, dear, long-departed, may he rest in peace, friend Harold Smith. Yeah, Harold is an incredible character, and as are you. Yeah, I mean, you know, there was a lot that, that, that wasn't seen and what wasn't, um, you know, behind the scenes about what was going on. Because, you know, it was established very early on. Sad to say, because it's, but it is their job, that the reward is totally fake and the immunity currently offered is totally fake as well. But that's their job. That You know, the FBI are investigating this crime. They want to arrest people and they want to recover the art. Until they let go of that, well, you have a one-dimensional investigation. My plan has always been that once you reach the stage where recovery of the art becomes the number one priority, then you have to try something new because the people you need to convince to hand it back do not believe a word of anything at the moment.
We'll get into your plan in a second. I just want to make sure that we're going to be addressing you appropriately. Do we call you uh, Paul or Mr. Henry or Turbo? Call me, yeah, call me Turbo Paul. Ah. Turbo Paul. Turbo Paul, um, you know, or people call me Art Hostage, uh, you know, online. But yeah, Turbo Paul's a... Um, what you can call me. Okay, great. Yeah, well, you you definitely have a turbo uh, element to you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, naturally hyperactive. <laughs> so you have successfully facilitated the return of stolen art um, between the, say, thief and you're the middleman, and then you've returned that to the museum? Yes, I have facilitated the recovery of stolen art from say, handlers, not directly off of thieves, back to its original owners, um, and some of those have been museums. I mean, a case in point, there's a museum in Poland. There was some very valuable art and antiques stolen off the last president of Poland when he lived in London, um, and um, I recovered that, and that now sits in a museum in Poland. Um, there's lots of other cases that I can't go into um, that, you know, that I contribute to. Right. You know, I contribute to the discussion. Discussions about stolen art are going on all the time. People contact me all the time and say, I can recover this stolen uh, artwork, but I don't want um, to give my identity and I want to get paid for it. I then inquire, and if that's available, I would, um, I would organize something. If it's not available, I go back and I tell the truth and say no. Gotcha. You know, at the end of the day, um, the police want to arrest people. The problem in the Gardner case is historically art theft has been investigated by local police. Then once they've invested, uh, exhausted all of their investigations, tried everything they can to sting people, get informants, um, set people up or everything, um, if the artwork is iconic, then the pressure mounts just to recover it. And local police are more... Um, inclined to step aside and allow that to happen. The FBI um, certainly will not step aside until they're told to do so, maybe some higher authority. So you're saying you know, that, that it's, it's uh, the, the people who have the Gardner art are afraid that they might not get a reward if they bring one piece in. Instead, they'll get silver bracelets as a reward? Um, something, along that, something along those lines. Okay. And at the end of the day, these people are not stupid. You know, they know what conditions are on rewards. And at the end of the day, you know, it, put it this way, it's not going to harm the investigation by is issuing um, a reward price list for all of the Gardner art. Now, the museum may, or, or the FBI might come back and say that gives an advantage to those who hold their art. Well, I would say, yes, that's the whole point. You so desperately want the art back above everything else that you're willing to concede and to do things that you wouldn't normally do so the art surfaces. If you're not willing to do those things, then fine, that's okay. But don't speak out of both sides of your mouth. It's the hypocrisy that I sort of find um, quite telling. Right. You know, if they come out and say, look, we're not just going to allow these to, uh, to, to surface and we're going to pay bad guys millions of dollars and we're not going to arrest anyone, then that's fine. Now, before we get into uh, your views on the reward and the promise of immunity, uh, we kind of touched a little bit and, uh, on, the, uh, on your theory about what happened with the robbery. Can yeah, you get into yeah, your theory of the crime? But let's just remember, because this is very important, there are lots of mislegends and people have told me things. Some may be true, some may not be true. Right. But that, you know, you know, let's keep that to one side because we can. That's a wonderful debate that, that lots of people have. 
But that doesn't move the investigation forward and offer solutions as to how to recover the art. So you have to separate the two things. Okay, let's uh, let's dabble in in uh, the the fun of the, of this theory first, and then we'll uh, we'll go forward from there. Right. Well, I believe that the um, after the theft, um, the garden art was stashed, and it was quickly established that the Vermeer was the only saleable um, artwork for the high value stolen art underworld, and that um, a certain person on the East Coast. There's probably a few in America who deal with high-value stolen art, but a certain person may have been contacted. They would have spoke to someone else, and the Vermeer um, would, would have been sold to, say, an industrialist, someone who has got a track record, a huge art collection, and a track record for buying stolen art or looted art or antiquities smuggled out of Italy and places like that. So the Vermeer is separate. That's gone off in a separate direction. The rest of the art, I believe, was stashed. And I believe that over the years, there have been deals. Bobby Gentile could have sold a couple of cars and he was given the eagle. And it's a sort of trophy thing. Uh, Bobby Garante could have settled a debt or paid some money for something. Then all of a sudden, he got the storm on the Sea of Galilee and the Rembrandt etching. There could have been a couple of Irish guys in Boston with connections to the IRA um, who could have managed to obtain a couple of the Dagar drawings, lady and gentleman in black, and they could have had them sent to Ireland or they could be still stashed around Boston by someone on their behalf. There's lots of different aspects of where this art could be. In your opinion, how long after the theft itself do you think that these people who you said certain individuals how long do you think it took them to create this plan of this, like, the Vermeer is the only sellable piece. Let's let's take that over here and let's take the Storm of the Sea over there and the Degas. Do you think that that was an immediate thing or do you think that they saw all of the headlines, realized what they had after the fact, and then started figuring out a way to distribute everything? No, I mean, I would have believed that the thieves would have a pre-planned destination for the garden of art, and they would have had someone that they were going to speak to, right, who would, have, who would either be a buyer or would actually know about selling stolen art. And that may have been someone like Joe Murray. It could have been, you know, lots of different people's names, Pat Nee, you know, different people's names have come up, um, uh, you know, um, uh, over the years. You know, and to be honest, it, it doesn't really matter who that was, but I believe they would speak to them, and then they would speak to someone that they knew in the stolen art underworld, and it would quickly be established, because of the condition of the storm on the sea and the size of it, that the Vermeer was really was the prize. Because there's always a prize. When there's a group right. of stolen art, there's something there that's the prize. That's the prize that, that would be saleable. And I believe that that went off on its own journey. I believe the rest of it was stashed, and it may have been distributed amongst the thieves. You have those couple of drawings, I'll have that one, I'll have the flink, you have this. Right. And then all of a sudden it filters through, right? Right. But, and what has happened, because it's, there's evidence of that, over the years, second and third hand emissaries have tried to put their head above the parapet and negotiate a return of the stolen gardener art and collect the reward for immunity. Every time they have attempted to do that, the clenched fist of the FBI has come crashing down on their house with God's own thunder. They've been set up 
jailed and threatened and done everything else. And also, what about the times that we haven't heard of publicly when lawyers have approached the museum and the FBI and said, we can get, we can get you a location where you can find some gardener art. I'm not giving any names and I want paying. And they said, sorry, we're not prepared to do that. Right. I, let's put a pin in that because I definitely want to uh, follow up on that, the clenched fist of the FBI. Um, but I do have one no, question. No, hang on. Yep. Let's be, yes, but hang on. Let's be fair to the FBI. Of course. That is their job. Their job is to investigate crime and arrest the perpetrators of crime, be it before the fact, during or after the fact. So, you know, they can be much maligned. Right. But it's their job. If they're told to step aside and allow the gardener art to surface without scrutiny, I'm sure they would do so. Right. That's a, that's a great point. Um, I did want to get your opinion really quickly on the two thieves from the night of the heist. Do you believe that these two thieves knew what they were going in to get, or were they just given a list? Meaning, do you, know, do you have an opinion on whether they knew the value of what they were getting and the Vermeer would, was the prize, or were they just given a list and, and told, get this and don't ask questions why? To be absolutely honest with you, again, it doesn't really matter who the two thieves were, whether it was Pinky and Purty, Ab- Abbott and Costello, you know, or Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. At the end of the day, um, you know, my number one priority has always been recovery of the art. And whether they were given a list or not, again, that doesn't matter. Um, I don't believe that they would have, um, um, would have uh, taken the pictures just by pot luck. I think there was an element of control there or, or even what they thought, you know, um, would be valuable because um, if they had a list, I mean, there were small things there they could have stolen, like Michelangelo drawings that were, you know, rather than the Dagars. But anyway, you know, what happened on the night happened on the night. And whether, you know, Richard A. the guard was involved or not, um, okay, and whether his, um, his share of the garden heist um, hall was the Manet, Chez Tortini, again, uh, again, if that was the case, and he's had it put away all these years, you can imagine how terrified he would be to try and hand it back. You know, or someone else. You know, it, it doesn't matter who stole the gardener art. There are people out there right, with control of the gardener art or have possession of one, two or three pieces of the gardener art, right, that want an avenue to hand it back and get paid. You're saying, so, you're saying they want an avenue to do that? Of course they do. Of course they do. Yes, if you're, if you're sitting there and you've had a deal on something for a few thousand dollars or something like this and you've taken as your payment um, a day guard drawing, okay, and the reward for that day guard drawing is $25,000 or $50,000 on the uh, Turbo Gardener Art reward price list, you want to be able to hand that back and get the $25,000. You might just be a small cog that you just happen to get a piece of the Gardener Art, or like the eagle. The eagle, you know, if, if you've got the eagle, you'd like to hand it back and get $100,000. Right, because that That's is the only would. piece that they are offering an independent reward on. Currently. Yes, Currently. of course. I mean, you know, for 20 years I've been lobbying the museum and, you know, with, with my total plan, you know, I was kept on at them, double the reward, right? You know, I even said, look, you're never going to pay this reward. You might as well offer $100 million. Right. They, they, they might as well offer the, the, the worth of the whole thing, $500 million. I mean, it doesn't matter. No, no, no. The worth of the whole thing is over a billion dollars now. 
because you have to remember the Leonardo da Vinci Salvador Monday Was sold just, last yeah. year for yeah. $450 million. Well, both Storm on the Sea of Galilee and the Vermeer are worth more because they're more historically significant. Certainly the Vermeer so, that's certainly worth $500 million on its own. So, so I think we have to change you know, our intro. It's a billion-dollar yeah. art theft now. So everyone, and I think you can say that on a factual basis, given the price of the Leonardo da Vinci Salvador Monday. So everyone listening, uh, this is uh, empty frames breaking news that the value of the art stolen is now at, fairly put, a billion dollars. Yes, I mean, that's a fact. Anyone can do their own research on that. Go and look at the top 10 prices paid for works of art, and the top price is $450 million last November for Salvador Mundi, which was only attributed to Leonardo da Vinci. Some experts say they're not even sure it's definitely by him. Right. But with the Vermeer, it's definitely by Vermeer, and it's one of his best works. Okay, with the Rembrandt Storm on the Sea of Galilee, it has significance. It's his only seascape, and there is a religious theme and lots of other things connected with that. So at the end of the day, you can safely say they're both worth, say, equal to that. So that's $900 million for just two paintings. It's an incredible amount of money. It's subjective, isn't it? Yeah. It's subjective, you know. I mean, um, you know, who's to say that... Uh, um, that a skyscraper on Fifth Avenue is worth a billion and a half dollars, um, and a work of art is not worth a, um, a billion dollars. Yeah, well put, well put. Um, do you want to get into your views on the on the reward, or do you should we go through the yeah, list? Yeah, sure. Of, okay. I mean, look, look, look. This is not a criticism because with my thirty plus years experience in the stolen art world, right, you have to understand how it's investigated. Initially, when a theft happens, when they issue a reward, there are conditions which are designed to deceive, right? and, and the whole purpose of the reward is to lure in um, potential inf informants with information. Now, the Garden Museum and, and Anthony Amore, who is a very, very good friend of mine, I've got the utmost respect for Anthony. He's honest, decent, sincere, and he's straight as a gun barrel. That's good to hear. Okay, but we may have different, different opinions, that's all. Mm -hmm. um, the Garden Museum has offered a $10 million reward for all 13 pieces, not one, two, or three, of their art back in good condition. Well, the, well, the um, demand for 13 pieces gives them a legal get-out where they can refuse to pay any reward until all 13 pieces have been recovered. They might intimate that, yes, we can talk about one piece or two, but the people holding any pieces of the gardener are, are not interested in talking. They don't want to talk to anyone. They don't want to be interviewed by the FBI or talk to the museum. They want to see in public a cast iron, watertight guarantee that they will get paid the reward for the gardener art that they have got and that they won't be scrutinized and interviewed. So you're saying that if the gardener were to put individual prices on each of the 13 pieces like they did with the finial, then the likelihood that these pieces would be returned is much greater. Of course it is. It's, it's almost guaranteed. It's almost guaranteed, okay, because someone who's got one or two, two pieces might, may return um, those pieces if they know exactly how much they would get. Again, they only want to give a little bit of information out in the reward, so it's a carrot, dangling a carrot, but we've gone beyond that fact now. 
And the other condition, to say they want the art back in good condition, means it's whatever they deem good condition is. And as we know a couple were cut from the frames, they could get them and say, oh, no, we don't deem that as good condition. We're refusing to pay the reward. And they can legally do that. That's why those conditions are attached. Mm-hmm. So if you're genuinely sincere that you only want the art, you issue a garden art reward price list of all 13 pieces, you drop all conditions and say that the money will be paid. But to dovetail that, the FBI and prosecutors need to hold a press conference and say that we are going to step aside, we're not going to scrutinise, and we're not going to try to prosecute anyone who hands back the stolen garden art exclusively. Not any other crimes people may or may not have committed. In full immunity for handing back the stolen gardener art. And that's it. It's a big ask, and it's distasteful, and it's something that wouldn't normally happen. But it will show the sincerity of the Gardener Museum and the FBI and prosecutors that they genuinely, definitely only want to recover the art. Right. So you're saying take the uh, price tag off of it and in uh, exchange for the return, they get full immunity for any crime that they have previously uh, committed. No, no, no. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. They, when they hand the gardener, they get full immunity for anything to do with the gardener heist. Gotcha. With the, only exclusively the gardener heist. For example, look, if Lance is holding a Dagar drawing and he hands it back to the museum, he gets immunity from actually holding that Dagar drawing and doesn't have to reveal how he got it, where he got it, or anything that he knows. Anything else that he may have committed any other kind of crime, of course he's not immune from that. Full immunity only applies to the Gardner case. Cool, cool. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that that was, uh, that no, that no. was clear. No, no, we yeah. need to get this across because, to be honest, you know, people can come back and they'll say, oh, we're not offering blanket immunity for murder and for all this. And say, no, no, we're not asking for that. Full immunity for the Gardner art heist and the subsequent handling of that art. And anyone who hands back the art collects the reward and is not scrutinised. Now, as I say, it's an extremely big ask. Right. But you know, if they don't want to do that and they're not prepared to do that, then that's fine, but come out and say that. Don't keep trying. At the end of the day, right? Um, the FBI and the Gardner Museum have been playing the American people like a $2 banjo. Um, the FBI and the Gardner Museum, it could be argued that they have perpetrated a fraud on the American people by saying there's $10 million and full immunity for anyone handing back the Gardner art, when a tiny bit of scrutiny shows that the reward is uncollectible and the immunity, right, in Boston, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, it's called something, it's, it, it is called transactional immunity. And that means that you have to sit down with prosecutors and give them everything you know. And you have to be prepared to testify against anyone involved. 
Only then can you apply for transactional immunity. And if it's granted, you also lose your right to take the Fifth Amendment. That sounds like a raw now, deal to me. If anyone sees that, they're not going to want to do, do that. Correct. You know, and so that's where the immunity um, th- thing is a problem. You know, and also, you know, um, there's been no informant prepared to testify a step forward in all these years speaks to a quintessential Boston characteristic, the closed culture, the tribal nature of its people, especially small-time hoodlums who would likely confess to a murder before informing on someone and testifying against them like is required in the Gardner Art case. That's an interesting uh, perspective of the uh, underground world in Boston. Do you have any direct uh, relations with criminals from from the area? Um, I mean, over the years, I've developed, um, you know, contacts um, that, um, from all over the world within the art, uh, within the underworld. And sometimes if, if there will be stolen art involved, you know, I would then get to know people. You know, I would have no business dealings with them. But, I'm, you know, and so I may speak to people in the underworld. And, you know, people know who I am. Um, you know, because of my background, um, I seem to be the epicenter of the global stolen art world gossip columns. So, I mean, I get to hear all kinds of different things. And as I say, I've been working on the inside um, to try, you know, lobbying to try to get things done, double the reward, right. offer individual prices for every single gardener artwork. And up until now, those things have been dismissed. You know, and, and I don't want to use this as a gotcha moment or as a whistleblower or anything like that. Um, anyone who actually just closely looks at the reward structure and looks at the immunity knows that they're, well, quite frankly, fake. Well, I think those are some pretty good points that you're making there, um, and it's kind of kind of tough to argue with. Um, do, do you have a proposal as far as, like, what paintings should be attributed, what uh, reward prices? No, I mean, I made my own price list just, just as a guesstimate. But, I'm, and, you know, I think we can all agree that the Vermeer should be $5 million dollars. I think we can all agree that the Rembrandt storm on the Sea of Galilee can be $3 million. We can say Rembrandt's Lady and Gentleman in Black, $1 million. The Chez Tortini Manet, half a million dollars. The Eagle, $100,000. The Bronze Beaker, a Chinese coup, $50,000. Two Dagar drawings, $50,000 each. The, the musical note Dagar's, $25,000 each. You know, I'm sure you could tweak it, and, and I'm sure, you know, um, you know um, maybe the Gardening Museum may think that certain things are more sentimental or more wanted back by them. But I think we can argue on the, on the top three. Sorry, we can all agree on the top three, can't we? Absolutely. And this is all part of what you're describing. This is all part of the, the turbo plan, right? Yes. Well, the turbo plan just calls for a transparent, collectible reward offer. Now, that would mean publishing a Gardner Art reward price list with all 13 pieces and a price attached to them, with no demand that all 13 pieces are recovered before they pay out the reward, and no demand on condition. I've disqualified myself from the reward decades ago. And I've said publicly numerous times on my blogs, you know, I want no part of any reward. I don't want anything, not one dime. Right? Well, and the main reason for that is not some moral high ground. It's the fact I know it's fake anyway. Every private investigator, 
okay, who's been involved in the case or looked at the case has always said, I don't want any of the reward because they know it's fake. Now, that's not a criticism of the museum or a criticism of the FBI because up until this point, they are doing their job. Right. The FBI is doing its job. They're trying to investigate this. They're trying to get an informant. They're trying to make arrests and they're trying to recover the Gardner art. If we genuinely, and art lovers and powerful people, right, say they genuinely want the recovery of the Gardner art to be the first priority and, you know, and they stated it publicly, well, then look big, look big and pay up, or as they say in Jerry Maguire, show me the money. <laughs> right. Uh, we've had a number of guests on this show, and pretty much all of them have said that the perception of a Dr. No character just doesn't exist. But you uh, disagree with that. Well, yes, because, look, you can do your own research. There are a list of high-powered, um, famous people who have been caught in possession of stolen art, and of course they say, oh, I never knew it was stolen, because they have the top lawyers. I mean, off the top of my head, I can say, Steven Spielberg, he is an expert on Norman Rockwell. Um, he's um, associated with the Norman Rockwell Museum. He was caught with Russian schoolroom that had been stolen 20 years earlier. He bought it off of a dealer, but it was on the FBI art crime website list, and a photograph of it had stolen, and it was hanging in his office. Wow. So, so one of the FBI, when they got to hear of this, called him up and said, that picture you've got stolen. He went, oh, you better take it then. They, they should have okay. ordered him to stop making Indiana Jones movies. Well, you know, at the end of the day, he, he bought it off of Judy Cutler, and Judy Cutler had bought it at an auction, but it was stolen. It was on the website. Okay, so, okay, he may not have known it was stolen, but there was, there was him. Uh, the fashion designer, Gianni Versace, when he got murdered and his belongings were auctioned, they found numerous artworks that had been stolen from all over Europe over a period of time. Um... Adnan Khashoggi, the billionaire Saudi who died last year, okay, he um, was known for a liking of stolen art. Hmm. He um, had about 40 impressionist paintings that, he, that came from the Philippines off of the Marcuses, President Marcus and Imelda Marcos, and he hid them in Greece and he hid them all over the place. Um, there are instances where um, uh, the Panama ambassador... Um, got caught. Um, when he died, his wife tried to sell an impressionist picture, a Cezanne, I think, and it turns out it was stolen. Now, okay, what's that saying? You know, once is coincidence, twice is happenstance, third time is enemy action. You know, at the end of the day, look, it's one of those things that they keep the lid on. But when you get up into those industrialist circles of billionaires, they like to get their rocks off with drugs, the finest women, the biggest yachts. And when they've done all of that, a little bit of stolen art. You know, there was another very famous industrialist lived in Switzerland called Baron Heine Thiessen from the Thiessen Krupp um, German steelmakers. Multi-billionaire. One of the biggest art collections in the world. Loved the stolen artwork. He used to have a stolen Caspar Friedrich sitting on his uh, wall in his office. When he died, his wife Carmen has discovered there were stolen artworks in his collection and looted artworks um, from the Second World War as well. Jean-Marie Messier, another industrialist, 
Yeah. Um, they raided his Paris mansion and they found a fresco in his courtyard that had been taken from Italy, worth millions of dollars. So don't tell me they were not Dr. Nose. Right, and it wouldn't surprise any of us if something came out in the next year or so, next few months or year, where um, Storm on the Sea pops up somewhere and it's some you know super high-end industrialist who uh, literally just wanted it for his ego or her ego. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the rumor in Hollywood was that the, um, the mogul, Sumner Redstone, had a secret room in one of his Hollywood mansions where he had stolen art that he used to show his A-list guests, as a matter of fact, at dinner parties. That may be true, may not be true, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, these are just stories that are out there. But you can prove that famous people have been caught in possession of stolen art. And the pop singer, Boy George... He was caught in possession of an icon that had been stolen from a a church in Cyprus during the Turkish-Greek War in 1974, um, and he handed it back to them. But he bought that off of a dealer in London. So, you know, people are not immune from this, and some of them actively seek it out. Right. They must get some sort of thrill from doing it. It actually kind of sounds thrilling with you describing it. Yeah, of course. I mean... There are occasions where Eastern European billionaires, they have even less scruples um, about the provenance of art. Um, And um, and there was a group called the Pink Panthers who had been robbing high-end jewels for the last 20 years, hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, some of the jewels and watches they've stolen have appeared on very famous wrists. President Putin was given a Petit Philippe watch by Oleg Deripaska. It turns out it was stolen. From by, by the Pink Panthers in a raid in the south of France. Now, what's the Moscow your... mayor was caught with some jewellery, Cartier jewellery, that the um, that the Pink Panthers had stolen in Switzerland. But these things don't make the press. But within you know my world of the stolen art world, they're known. Want to just shift gears just slightly and get your opinion on the IRA and well, and what they the might Irish have had Republican to do. The Republican Army were formed. Um, were formed to fight the British so that they could be a united island. And they have had all manner of things. And over the years, because of their involvement with stolen art, you know, um, I have got to know some senior members or former, sorry, senior former members. Um, and that's, you know, that's fine. You know, and I've spoken to them. They believe, they believe that they do have some of the Gardner art. I, I expressed doubt and said that they may be copies that were painted after it was stolen, good copies, and, that's, and because they couldn't get them authenticated, they may not be the originals. But if indeed they are the originals, if they're sitting there, they're waiting for a pathway and avenue to hand back the gardener up, collect the reward, and not have any scrutiny. You mentioned uh, Storm on the Sea of Galilee. What are your feelings on that and... Uh... And as Lance said, you know, maybe it'll turn up. Maybe it's in, it's in a, or you know, it's rolled up somewhere. Uh, what do you? No, no, no. It, won't. it can't be rolled up. Storm on the Sea of Galilee has been treated with a heavy residue and resin over um, over hundreds of years, and it is as stiff as a board. Okay, it's like a, it's, so. It's like an, um, it's like a big panel. You couldn't if you tried to fold it, it would snap before you, it folded. Really? Okay. Imagine a big sheet of hardboard. Mm-hmm. That's what it's like. So you can't roll it up. That's why I believe it didn't make it into the high-value stolen art underworld. I may be wrong. They may have cut it up into four pieces. They might have cut it in half. Right. You know, I don't know. The Vermeer is the one 
um, that, that, um, that made it into the stolen art underworld and is held by someone who doesn't need $5 million. I'm not criticising the investigation. We can all talk about what they should have done, what they could have done, and all of that post-mortem, and that's fine, and we can have a debate on that, and the good, the bad, and the indifferent. What I'm saying is if the Gardner Museum and the FBI and authorities, the DA in Boston and everyone else, genuinely says it's time for the garden art to come home, then you have to do something that is going to appeal to those people who hold or control the gardener art. And that thing will be a reward price list. It will be dropping the conditions of the, on the reward. And it will be offering full immunity to anyone handing back the gardener art, but only in relation to the gardener art case. Now, you, you're approaching this in a, in a really uh, pragmatic fashion, which is pretty unique when it comes to, um, well, I guess, uh, I, I guess you're a unique person, so I don't even have a frame of reference there. You're, you said you serve as a gatekeeper and you've established relationships between both the criminals and law enforcement. Do they both appreciate your pragmatic approach to um, any sort of stolen property, including the gardener art? Well, no, it, well, well first, of all, f- first of all, I would say I'm not a gatekeeper, I'm a firewall. I'm a firewall between the underworld and law enforcement victims and insurers and on both sides that means that they can be honest with me. In all kinds of discussion there are always back channels and those things are constant. In any negotiation, any conflict, whether it was the Irish struggle, whether it was you know, whatever war or whether it was conflict, even up to North Korea there's always back channels and I've always been a back channel with no agenda, not trying to set people up, not trying to do anything like that, but I pass messages on. Oh, this artwork is so important, we really just want it back. Can you just give us a location and we can make this payment? That's a message that that you typically pass on to the criminal underworld? Or to whoever may be able to assist in the recovery of stolen art. Gotcha. Now, I must say in the last few years it's become much more difficult to do that. Why is okay. that? Well, because of money laundering laws all over the world and people benefiting from crime. But, I mean, there are precedents. You know, um, the two turners that were on loan from the Tate Gallery London to Berlin that were stolen were recovered and a, a lawyer who was working on behalf of the handler got paid five and a half million dollars because the, um, um, the two turners in question were night and day, two of his most important pictures and the Tate wanted them back at any court, uh, cost. But the Tate Gallery had to go to the High Court in London to get the judge's approval to make a recovery and to pay out the reward. You know, and the underworld know this. They know all these things. And yes, it's all fluffy and nice and neat that the museum can say, we're doing everything we can. We're going to do everything possible to get our art back. We don't care what we've got to do. We're going to move heaven and earth. Right, but it's just not that simple in reality. It's a, it's a sham. Yeah. And, and I'm not, I'm not criticising because that's just the way it is. And, the, and the, see, look, they don't have to convince the public. They don't have to convince you, uh, uh, Lance, Tim, and Turbo. They've got to convince the people who hold the Gardner art or may know where the Gardner art is that the coast is clear and it's safe to emerge. Right. And that's one thing that you've said before in our uh, correspondence before this interview is that 
people forget that the thieves have the advantage because they have the art. And a lot of people just think that these are thieves scurrying around always, you know, trying to stay one step ahead of law enforcement. These are people that actually have the power. Well, no, of course. Look, see, look and, and the ironic thing is, in stolen art investigations, right, the minute they get underway, people reverse roles. Law enforcement and the victims or the insurers start telling lies, and the crooks and those who have the stolen art start telling the truth and saying, yes, you can have it back, but I want pain. So it's almost, it's a paradox. Right. You know, and that's the way, you know, but again, it's like jousting. We've been jousting for 28 years. The underworld versus the FBI and the Garden Museum. Has the time come to put down the... the polls and to say let's have a truce for the sake of the gardener art and for the cultural identity of boston time has come to recover the gardener art and not prosecute people make sure the reward is fully collectible and and going to be legally payable and that's it how far up the ladder do do we have to go in order to influence the change well no i think first of all the question is my number one priority is to create a debate so, so we're having this debate here today, and it's the first time in 28 years that this debate has happened. Okay? I've offered practical solutions. Those solutions can be discussed by the listeners, the viewers, their friends, and, and perhaps influential people, and maybe it can be put to the Garden Museum, the points that I've raised, and to the FBI, but not in a malicious gotcha fashion. As, look, this is how it's been investigated up to now. TurboPool is offering solutions going forward. If you don't want to do those things, fine. But don't you agree that these could possibly or certainly will lead to the recovery of the gardener art? And if that's your number one priority, why are you not doing that? What I've said today is the third rail of the gardener art heist. It's a subject no one dare touch. It's a subject everyone would be frightened of. And for 20 years, I've been lobbying people behind the scenes. And you can see them shudder when I, when I speak to them about the reward price list and total immunity. It's time to get this out into the open and have the discussion. And if at the end of that discussion that the overwhelming universal conclusion is that the gardener art is the most important thing, well, let's go. In 2010, Brian Kelly, who was then assistant DA in Boston, gave a speech at the IFAR meeting in New York, and my son was there, he was young, he was 16 at the time, with Anthony Amore. And at that private gathering, he explained what immunity is, or he explained what you needed to do for immunity. And that was verbatim of what I've said, mm-hmm. that you've got to give everything to the feds, you've got to be prepared to testify, and you lose your right to take the fifth. So you are one of um, uh, just a handful of like real experts on the Isabella Stewart Gardner heist. Uh, who else is in your circle there of of experts? Who else in the circle of experts? Well, um, there'd be uh, my good friend um, Bob Whitman, ex FBI art crime team boss in Philly. There's Dick Ellis, ex Scotland Yard detective. Um, Harold Smith's not available, dear old Harold. But yes, I mean, and to be honest with you, in the, in the world today, there's only probably a handful of people who can regard themselves as experts on art-related crime. And as I say, over the years, um, the underworld sent out second and third-hand emissaries, then we had Bobby Garante, and then we had Bobby Gentile. So these are people who actually had some working knowledge of where the art was, and it didn't happen for them. They, they weren't able to return it. They weren't able to collect a reward. Is that what you're saying? 
Well, no, those people stepped forward and said that they had information that could um, lead to the recovery of the gardener art. Mm-hmm. And the minute that they said that, well, their whole world just turned upside down. And they, you know, and they were told, this is a deal, you testify, you give us everything, and they've gone, whoa, whoa. Oh, no, sorry about that. And they tried to walk away. And then the FBI tried to set them up, or did set them up. Bobby Gentile has been stunned twice by the FBI and, and remains in jail awaiting death. So can you imagine if you had some of the guards around, or even a day guard drawing, what would you think? You'd be like, oh, my God. All that nonsense about come and speak to us. Give us a call. We'll speak confidentially. Confidentially. What about David Turner getting his seven-year sentence uh, or getting a, a seven-year uh, reduction to a sentence? Yeah, well, that's nothing to do with the Gardner case. David Turner handed back some hand grenades and some high-powered weapons. And for that, he got seven years off of his prison sentence. Got nothing to do with the Gardner case whatsoever. Do you think that he was involved in the Gardner heist? Or does it, it, I guess it goes back to your, it doesn't matter. To be honest with you, I have no interest and I don't care if he was. And the reason I take this blasé attitude is because... Let's catch the rabbit before we divide it. It's all very well looking back, and it's interesting to say all these interesting facts, you know, these myths, these legends. Bobby Garante had Storm on the Sea of Galilee, and he had it standing up opposite his bed behind a false wall. And when he got cancer, he used to pray to it every night, hoping to beat the cancer. Well, that's an interesting story, whether it's true or not. You know, I was told that story, whether it's true or not, I honestly don't know. Why do you think that there are all these stories out there that add to the lore, like that that story about praying to it in order to cure his cancer is like probably one of the more fascinating things to me to imagine, you know, to actually sit there and think about it in like this folklore type uh, setting. But is there is there a motivation behind creating this like myth myth of the of the heist and of the artwork to deceive, or do you think that's just human nature? Um, well, what's the saying? A lie gets halfway round the world before the truth gets its trousers on. <laughs> and people like to embed things. I'll tell you a story, and then you, and then you can tell a friend a story, and you'll add a little bit on for yourself. It's like it's like um <laughs> it's like free market economics with gossip. Right. Hey, did you hear that about so and so? Yeah. So then when you tell, hey, did you hear that about so and so? Plus, it's my little bit to add on. And then when they tell someone, hey, did you hear that about so and so? Plus the bit he added on, and I'm going to add on a little bit more. <laughs> you know. And so that's what it is. Also, part of the turbo plan would be as a test balloon. Once the reward price list is issued, all conditions dropped, and full immunity is guaranteed. The first thing to be handed back should be the least valued gardener artwork on the reward price list, and it should be placed in a confession box in a Catholic church where the church can recover it and they can hand it back to the Gardener Museum at a press conference and be given a cheque for that amount. That will show good faith and it will build confidence in those who hold the gardener art to hand more gardener art back. Why the confessional box? Well, there's a symbolism of absolution. There's strong connections the Catholic Church has as a mediator historically. And, you know, it would show good faith. Do you think anybody would be upset or surprised or view the FBI differently if they came out and just said, the, or even the museum, if they said that the reward just really isn't a real reward? Well, I mean, if people genuinely believe that the reward is real, given the conditions to um, added to it, 
then I would just say that they're sadly a little bit naive. If people believe that the immunity being offered by the FBI and prosecutors, Boston DA and everyone, is full immunity without any conditions, well, again, they're just being um, naive. See, that also it's propaganda as well. In these instances, you have to get your side of the story up. So what they, the FBI and the Gardner Museum want everyone to do is look over here. Look, this is what we're talking about. Sad loss, $10 million in immunity. But don't look over here where it actually gives details of what the conditions are, which means the reward is completely fake and so is the immunity. In your pragmatic manner, what are the next steps for the Gardner heist and the recovery? The next steps for the Gardner heist, I believe, should be getting public awareness, media awareness, political awareness right, of the situation whereby those who hold the Gardner art don't believe the reward and immunity. And I believe there should be a joint press conference with the Gardner Museum and the FBI and prosecutors and they should announce a Gardner Art reward price list and show it to the public. They should say all conditions on the reward have been dropped. And prosecutors in the FBI should say, we are going to step aside and we're going to allow the Gardner Art to surface and whoever hands back the Gardner Art can be paid the reward. Now, I'm sure those who are in the underworld or those who have the Gardner Art can nominate someone who hasn't got a criminal record. So it doesn't have to be someone who is a, who's got a criminal record, criminal background, who collects the reward, because that would just fit everything in nicely. That Mr. Smith or Mr. Kelly from Rivere has given us a location where we've recovered a Gardner artwork and we've given him a cheque for $100,000. Yeah, and the only reason I can say this with authority is because them themselves, the FBI and the Gardner Museum, have come out and said the number one priority and most important thing is recovering the Gardner art. Okay, well, let, well give us the tools to do that. Guys, look, you, you two guys are intelligent guys. You're not stupid. What I put forward to you, okay, try and find a flaw in it. You know, come back at me and tell me I'm doing something wrong. Tell me that my plan is bad. Well, it's actually kind of refreshing to get this information and this point of view because what we consistently hear and read is all about the night of the heist and those who might have been involved. And we never really take a step back and think about, does it really matter? Because that's not where the art is now. No, of course, and that's the, because that's the way the FBI and the Gardner Museum want it, and the media just follow along. The question is, is at, which, at what point do the artworks being recovered surpass the, the desire to prosecute and to prevent the reward paying? And once you reach that point, then you have to make some cold, hard decisions. That's all I'm saying. I mean, to be honest, there's no good, you know, there's no good people um, after we've had this um, conversation and it said trying to discredit me. Don't shoot the messenger. Just listen to the message and then decide upon that on its merits. So I would imagine that anyone who is in a position to turn in a piece of the artwork and even if they used an intermediary who didn't have a criminal record to uh, deliver that artwork, I would imagine after 28 years, it would be very difficult to convince this person of the, of the value in returning it because they've already gotten away with it for so long and, and they still have it. It's like their trump card. And why would they do that? Well, it's their trump card for what? 
maybe or if they get in trouble in the future. Maybe maybe that's so what they're watching Trump card for. What it's their trophy that they've got. But if that trophy that they've got is worth fifty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars, possibly a million dollars, half a million dollars, and they know that the pathway and avenue is safe, well then they would cash it in and regard it as perhaps it was their pension. Okay, so what what if there is this this Doctor No type character who is very wealthy and and has just for example the Vermeer and and the Gardner what were to put out this price list and it's like okay you'll get five million dollars in total immunity in this uh, situation if you just return the Vermeer but this Doctor No character is wealthy and five million dollars doesn't mean anything to that person. Yes, because it's not a, it, it's not a question of money. $10 million, $50 million. It's um, not a question of money. And so you, you either have to wait until that person dies, and maybe their relatives um, um, would be inclined to, do, um, inclined to do that, or you just have to sit it out. Mm-hmm. Okay? But that's the Vermeer. That's what, you know, I'm not talking about a Vermeer. See, the thing is, as opposed to trickle-down econ- uh, economics, trickle-down economics... This is trickle-up gardener art recovery. Let's start at the bottom. Everyone keeps going, Vermeer, Vermeer, Rembrandt, Storm on the Sea. But in the recovery process, you're going to start off with the least valued thing. Surely that must be clear to people so that people can test the water. If we hand back that day and we get stiffed on it. Okay, we've lost $25,000 or what the value was in the underworld. Turbo, you invited us to shoot holes in your uh, in your plant, so uh, I think... Uh that was kind of the only place I could go with it. Uh, it's really hard to, sh- to shoot holes in this plan because, as we, as we discussed, uh, it, it's, a, it's a playbook that hasn't worked so far. So w- what's the harm in switching it up a little bit? Well, no, exactly. Because then also the FBI authorities and the Garden Museum can genuinely claim the moral high ground and say, look, we're even prepared to guarantee the reward, guarantee full immunity distasteful as that may be, just to recover the gardener art. So you're saying at this point the situation is fixable. Do you ever see uh, a moment in time when the situation will not be fixable? I don't know. I don't know. I've always been concerned that if the FBI managed to recover one or two pieces in a sting operation, that that may cause certain people um, who may hold the gardener art to make a YouTube video showing them destroying the gardener art, setting fire to it, destroying it on camera, and saying that's what you get for setting people up or something. That's always my nightmare scenario. Oh, that's interesting, sort of like uh, like terrorist organizations do. I mean, the statute of limitations ran out years ago, after five years on the actual theft. Now you can get, you know, it's handling, and interstate, and FBI, and all kinds of things. People don't want to talk to the FBI in the underworld because you can get charged with lying to the FBI. Just ask General Flynn. They get you to say something, and then they interview you again. And if you, if you say something different, they then arrest you and charge you with a process crime, like they did with General Flynn. We have to remember, we are not dealing with good people. We're dealing with bad people by the very nature that they have the gardener art. So there's no good putting a moral perspective on this. You've got to think how they think. And they will not move an inch until they believe that it's safe to do so. And I'm not condoning that. I'm not condoning the people. I'm just saying that's the reality. Bad people have the gardener art. Are you willing to pay bad people uh, money so the gardener art comes back? 
if the answer is no, that's fine. But don't pretend like you are. Do you ever consider yourself in danger? Um, you know, because bad people are controlling the gardener art. Even with the other work that you do, you you deal all the time in that world, um, and you're pretty public. You have you have a blog, and and you're you're very vocal about these things. Have you ever felt like this has put you in some form of danger? Well, to be honest with you, the stolen art underworld is much more fickle than, say, other conventional crimes, drugs, money laundering, and kinds of things like that. To be honest with you, there's no loyalty really in the art world, the legitimate art world. And um, the stolen art underworld, to be honest with you, their people are very fickle. I don't set people up. You know, I just give my honest opinions, and if people don't, don't like that, you know, um, then that's fine. You know, so I can't understand, you know, there's a lot of people, as I say, if someone comes to me and says they can get a stolen artwork, I'm not going to set them up. Right. So why would people be angry with me? Right. A very, very logical answer to that. And also the fact is, as well, um, sometimes, you know, law enforcement, insurers and other people, they can get quite annoyed because I might reveal some truth that they didn't want to be revealed. Not operational things which could put people in danger, but just general things. You know, for example, like what I'm doing today, saying, look, you know, and, this is, and people must understand, this is not exclusive to Boston or the USA. This is a global thing. When law enforcement investigate an art theft, they put out a reward with conditions to try to attract leads. And if an informant comes in and gives them and they recover the art, well, then they go to the people who offered the money. And then they're still at the mercy of those, those people like the Gardening Museum. And the Gardening Museum have given themselves enough legal get-outs where they don't have to pay the reward if they don't want to. The perception is, by those who hold the gardener up, that they... You know, Bobby Gentile said, um, he said he, he, he knew that the FBI would stiff him on the reward. That's why he would never, ever um, cooperate with them. That's a quote from him. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about the, uh, the statute that's in Holland and Belgium about... Uh... Yeah, in Holland and Belgium, um, um, after an art theft, 30 years later, whoever has possession of that stolen artwork gains legal title. And that does not exist in the United States. Well, of course it doesn't exist in the United States. But there are anomalies in different places. In Italy, if you buy um, um, an artwork from a, an auction house or a recognized auction, you gain legal title to it, regardless of whether it was stolen. There was a case of a Cezanne and another painting that was stolen in the 1970s from, um, from, um, from Seath, the owner of Marks and Spencer's, worth $50 million. And th they were found on a train in Italy. And they were auctioned off at, uh, at one of the lost property auctions. And, and, this man, um, and this gentleman bought them and hung them in his kitchen for 30 years. And then when he tried to check out um, what they were, discovered they were real, and there was all kinds of court cases, and he was allowed to keep them. That's a $50 million Cezanne. Do you, do you think that this could be something that the United States could implement, um, you know, it being two years away from that 30-year mark in order to bring the no, artwork because, back? No, 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 no. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're getting away from yourself here. No, the problem is, if you did that, it would just mean people would steal art and hold it for 30 years. Also, we have to remember that if the gardener art comes back and there's no prosecutions and the reward is paid, that that could, 
encourage people to steal art in the future. Although the security at American museums are much more tight than they are in Europe anyway. So these are things to consider. And yes, authorities can come back and say we can't grant immunity, full immunity on the Gardner case. We can't guarantee the reward being paid because it could encourage art theft in the future. And again, that's fine if they take that attitude. So if you if you had one piece of advice to give to someone who might think that they have a piece of this artwork, if someone's looking at it, you know, maybe they've seen it since they were a kid and 20 years later, they're starting to realize that this, you know, sketch that they've been looking at since they were a kid is a Degas and it might be part of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist. If you were to give a piece of advice to somebody who is curious or or concerned about this, what would it be? My advice would be if anyone has got a Degas from the Gardner Museum would be to hand it back, not claim a reward and not step forward. <clears throat> so that way it's a sort of detente. In other words, they don't get a prosecution, but then there's no reward being paid. Almost like an anonymous delivery? Yeah, hand it back. Anonymous, put it in a Catholic church confession box and walk away. That would be my, my advice. However, we live in a commercial capitalist world and some people want to actually profit from these things. Distasteful as that may be, and if those people want to do it, they're not going to step forward until they see a reward price list, they see all conditions dropped on the reward, and they see authorities stating that, that immunity is full immunity and that they will not scrutinise anyone handing back the Gardner art. This is not me. This is not my opinion. These are the opinions of the bad people that, who have the Gardner art. And also, I, I want everyone to understand as well... You know, each case should be investigated on its own merits. And as the Gardner case is the holy grail of all art thefts, with more column inches than any other art theft in history, including the Mona Lisa, then um, we can all agree it's unique. So it's going to take a unique plan to recover the Gardner art. Empty Frames is a co-production of Crawl Space Media and Audio Boom with original music by Jared Jansen. Thank you very much for listening. Follow us on Twitter at empty underscore frames. <laughs>